0: You're listening to the Inside Study Abroad podcast, episode number 17. Welcome to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host Brooke Roberts. In this show, we explore the world of international education and meaningful travel with some fascinating guests, a little friendly debate, and a whole lot of practical advice. Let's get going. Hey, hey everyone. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much as always for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Carpe Diem Education. Carpe Diem is a program provider specializing in small group experiential education semesters abroad. Their programs focus on community, cultural immersion, service learning, and adventure, all while giving students the option of getting credit and financial aid through their partnership with Portland State University. They offer two different program models. One is a three-month group semester, kind of standard, and then they also have their latitudes year, which is a three-month group semester plus an independent-focused volunteer placement somewhere in the world. Currently, Carpe works with Ethan from a few episodes ago, so if you're interested to learn more about Carpe Diem and their story, definitely head on over to that episode and my conversation with Ethan. Now, before I get into who I'm chatting with today, I wanted to sort of just give you guys a few updates on what's been going on over here at Inside City Abroad headquarters. We just started the first week of the last cohort round of the Global Pro Institute. So if you guys are curious what GPI is, head on over to learn.insidesetabroad.com and you can learn all about the Global Pro Institute. But... We just had our first group coaching call this week and it was a lot of fun, a lot of great questions. It's, it's probably honestly my favorite Favorite part of the experience is just getting to know all these great people. Sort of trying to break into the field, and we talk about all things from actual issues that we're grappling with as professionals in this space, but also issues of just growing a career and growing a professional brand, and and how to position yourself in, in smart ways to get the jobs you really want. And that's what GPI is all about. So if you want to learn more about it, head on over there, and let me know if you have any questions. I also spent the weekend in San Diego. It was a very quick whirlwind in and out experience. I was only there for about 36 hours, but I flew in to speak at the San Diego Lessons from Abroad conference there. I was the keynote address. Ooh, so fancy. But it was a lot of fun. I always love giving these talks, especially to students and return study abroad students and sort of giving them my ideas about what it takes to leverage their international experiences to make sure that they're at the front of the lines for the jobs that they really want in any industry that they want to go into and how to sort of really have a rockstar persona in any career path they choose so it's a lot of fun uh i i got a few laughs that's always good they 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 gave me some courtesy laughs at my jokes which is nice so thank you so much to the organizing team for lessons from abroad in san diego for inviting me it was a lot of fun and i can't wait to come back now let's get into today's show so today I'm talking with Samantha Martin, co-founder and CEO of ViaTRM, a software solution that helps offices and organizations nurture students from point of interest to re-entry. Sam and I talk about her international education story and how she went from a study rep participant herself to a tech company founder all before the age of 30. We also get into exactly what is a traveler relationship management tool, which is what TRM stands for. So we get into sort of the ethos and and focus and values behind her organization. And we also talk about this issue of this giant gap between the number of students who plan to study abroad and the, the number who actually end up doing it. And this is sort of something I've been talking about on Inside Study Abroad since like 2009, back when I was at the University of South Dakota. So it's still a huge challenge. It's still a big issue that we're, we're seeing in our field. And VIA was definitely created as a way to help bridge that divide. So we'll get into that as well. And then I wanted to make this episode more of a workshop experience and really capitalize on Samantha's expertise in this area and the research they've been doing at VIA and sort of the the best practices they've observed and seen and, and deploy in their own organization so that we could basically drill that down to the critical strategies every organization should be deploying to close the gap between interest and participation. All right. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Let's go to the show. Hi, Sam. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Hi, Brooke. It's great to be here. Awesome. Okay. So first, let's start with you telling us what is your international education story? How did you get to where you are today?
1: Like most folks in the field, I was a student who went abroad. I studied abroad in Cyprus my junior year as a first-generation college student on a Gilman scholarship. And It occurred to me somebody had to help me get there. And I thought this is really fantastic. And I was in Cyprus two years after the border opened, after being closed for 30 years. And I was in classes with my peers who were meeting each other for the first time. And I thought, wow, in addition to my own personal transformation, which was happening at that time, international education was creating this really cool space for my peers to have this conversation for the first time in their lives. And I thought, that's what I want to do.
0: That That's really interesting. I want to get more into like your career, but I you, as you were saying that, I thought, oh, I wonder if that's sort of how Cuba is going to start to feel. Like somebody's going to go on a study abroad program in the next couple of years to Cuba and sort of have that kind of a, a parallel experience of sort of, wow, for the first time, the doors have been, you know, blown wide open for that learning to happen. So that's really exciting. Have you been to Cuba?
1: I have not. It me either. on the top of my list. Yeah, yeah,
0: me too. It's sort of like, I I, I really want to get there. One, a, a good friend of mine who uh, works at um, University of Southern California, he leads a big group there every year. And <laughs> he was just posting photos of it. I was like, oh, I kind of hate you, Sean. I want to go so bad. So it, it's definitely at the top of my list too. So back to you and your story. So you studied abroad. And so what was the sort of the next step for you? Because I, I think people, especially who are interested in working in international ed- want to know like, okay, great. You were this passionate participant. How did you leverage that and transform into a professional?
1: Yeah. So I went back to the University of South Carolina, which was where I was getting my undergraduate degree. And I worked as a student worker in the study abroad office for a year, primarily helping uh, sharing my story and helping tell other students about the Gilman scholarship. Then I got connected to Rotary and ended up doing my master's degree abroad in Northern Ireland at peace and conflict studies um, but in between, there I got my first job with international education programs, doing student recruitment, program development, um, all sorts of things there. So leveraged leveraged those experiences into my first the first iteration of my re- career in student recruitment. Went abroad, came back, and then worked for three years as a study abroad advisor in the SUNY system in New York.
0: Okay cool. So, let's talk a little bit about now where you are today because I think if you can even look at Via and the evolution it's taken, I mean, we could remove <laughs> the whole rest of your career and there's like a lifetime we could talk about yeah. with Via. So, let's talk about Via and the evolution of that, where it came from and and how it got to be this software solution you guys have today.
1: Sure. So, Via CRM started off as Project Travel and the idea was what we know from studies, as well as folks we talk to in the field, is that coming into their freshman year, about 80 students say they will go abroad during their college years, and we're still at less than 10%. And that gap has always been tremendously fascinating to me, as well as a challenge. And and so really became interested in looking at the barriers preventing students from going abroad, and why so many. And everyone's talking about Uh, financial barriers. And of course, that's where we started as a crowdfunding platform, but then realized crowdfunding was too little, too late to actually make a dent in that 70% attrition rate. So when we started thinking about it, it was like, well, actually everyone's just focused on the application ready student. uh, When the reality is you've got students coming to these fairs, they're signing up on paper. They're the ones that are interested in going, but it really goes nowhere because there's nothing to track them. There's nothing to help them um, get a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper over time to get more familiar with what going abroad means and what it will require of them and who else is going. Study abroad offices focus so much on go now, apply now, and, and they're really missing an opportunity to connect with early stage freshmen and the just curious student. So via TRM was born with this concept of Expand the funnel and expand your enrollment, expand the different types of students who are able to go and we build a system to support that Mm -hmm. approach.
0: I love that. It it sort of reminds me of this concept of like just in time and information. So getting people the information they need where they are in in the life cycle, in the process, right? So you don't give people like, here's how to apply for your visa when they're like, I can leave the country stage. <laughs> um, so I, I totally hear what you're saying. So what does TRM stand for? Let's break that down first. And where did yeah. that come from?
1: <laughs> <laughs> TRM stands for Traveler Relationship Management. In the business and marketing world particularly, There, uh, most folks are familiar with customer relationship management, CRM systems. So we're playing on that because we offer a lot of the traditional functionalities that uh, customer relationship management platforms offer. And we are focused specifically in the international education space. So our philosophy, our approach, uh, h- how we talk about student engagement is really, really focused to that space. And so we wanted to be the first to come out with the TRM platform, the TRM philosophy, and really have that be something people can wrap their brains around. It's a combination of not just technology, but also an approach to using the technology in a specific way for a very human-centered goal.
0: Right. So it's it's funny because obviously you're super tech savvy. You really get like this idea of engaging technology, leveraging it for your end goal, of, you know closing that gap. But I think a lot of people in international education can be a little intimidated by... Technology, <laughs> The implementation sure. of it or just, you know, I, having worked on several university campuses and as you know as well, just getting the buy-in for it and the integration of it and all that stuff that comes, the headaches that come with it. <laughs> just to, before we get into sir, some of the strategies you guys use to sort of implement VIA, what would you say to someone who's like, whoa, 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 I, we can't, we cannot, I cannot handle <laughs> more technology right now or the yeah. implementation of it. What have you found to be sort of some of the Results of implementing technology in a meaningful way that has actually moved the needle? Yeah.
1: Well, I'll, I'll first start out. I, what I would say to that person, and we hear that question all the time, is I just acknowledge and empathize with them and say, look, actually, I get it. I'm not even a tech person. I have a master's degree in peace and conflict studies. You think I set out to, you know, found a software company? Absolutely not. To me, technology is a vehicle, just like anything else to get towards a, achieve a specific goal and technology should always achieve a human centered goal. And so unfortunately what happens is people look at technology and try to fit their own. They try to, they, they start with the technology rather than the human purpose. And that's when it starts to feel complicated and frustrating. Mm -hmm. So all of that to say is it's okay to feel that way. And by the way, we've made it very simple for you to um understand what it is that we do and then to get started and we can put a guarantee around that as well. So empathizing empathizing with the person, saying that it's okay, that I get it, that we're not even tech people, but that technology is a vehicle to get us to where we're going. Um, that was really lengthy. No, um, it's all good. It's all good. That's perfect. <laughs> there's, one, there's also one metaphor that um I sometimes share, which is that when people were driving horses and buggies on the road, um, they were driving on dirt roads. And before they made cars, people had to make the investment in building the roads so that cars could go faster. There was no way that cars could go down a dirt road faster. So when people go, oh, it's not worth the investment, it's not worth the um, thinking about it, or we just can't think about it. Sometimes using that metaphor helps people go, oh, wow, maybe we could really make exponential changes here rather than incremental ones if we thought about this differently.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's a great segue into the steps or strategies that you guys have teased out with VIA that you have figured out what is the life cycle of a student through this process and what are the sort of the key things an office needs to understand about each stage and and maybe put into place, whether they use VIA or not, to help sort of close that gap between, hey, yeah, I'm a freshman, of course, study abroad sounds great, to, to being a sophomore, junior, senior saying, yeah, absolutely, I'm gonna make this happen.
1: Great, well, I'll start with our mission because that underpins the approach as well as the actual technology itself, which is engage every student. Our mission is that we wanna empower every advisor to engage every student, and what that includes is the just curious student, the freshman student, the unsure student, And what I hear advisors say a lot is, well, um, and I get it, I don't have I don't have time. Like I just wish they would come to me a little more prepared, a little more well researched in terms of what they want or what programs they're interested in, because I gotta focus on the ones who are in pre-departure, or I don't have time to sit down and help a freshman student who's not gonna go for another three years or two years figure out what their next step is. I just wish there was something out there. And philosophically, whether or not anyone uses our system or not, I think that's a miss. I think we have to invest in the just curious and freshman student because the curious student of today is the applicant of tomorrow. And so putting some system or process in place, whether it's with our technology or someone else's technology, or even piecing together a creative process, it's how do we get students in the door? How do we track them and give them some way to take the next step on their own? And how do we give them the right resources at the right time and not throw at them a whole bunch of um catalogs and websites to look yeah. at when it's just not quite the right time? Like give them give them the snacks rather than meals and they're gonna keep moving deeper into that process on their own. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I'm gonna throw out here is one of the things I, I get super excited and passionate about when it comes to helping students actually take action and, and go on these programs is, you know, when you go to a study abroad fair, you work in an office or you just go to someone's website, even the number of options for a student. I mean, and I'm not even talking about study abroad options. It could be study abroad, plus intern, plus volunteer, plus teach, plus research, multiply that times, insert city, insert country location here. And now we've got 10 bazillion <laughs> options out there. How, <laughs> how does one choose? Right. Especially if if they feel like they're one and done, they get one chance to do this. And so that's a lot of pressure to put on the student choice. And a book I love, I always tell people to read it. it it's called The Paradox of Choice mm. by Dr. Barry Schwartz. I heard him talking in college and he's hilarious, but there's a TED talk too, If people want to cheat and not read the book, but Google it. The Paradox of Choice. It's amazing, but it talks about the law of diminishing returns, right? So you get to a point where choice is great. Having options is awesome. And then it sort of tips over. There's that tipping point of like, oh, no, now choice is debilitating. Now I'm not going to make a choice because I'm so overwhelmed. And so I think what you're talking about there, is when even before students get to a choice position, I feel like they need to be shorn up with data and information and their own expectations and goals for the experience so that they can start weeding out all those options. So I love that you brought that up. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Let's get to your tactics. You guys have figured out sort of what's the lay of the land that VIA sort of recommends you put that strategy into place, those steps, if you will.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um Tactically, we think that every touch point with a student is communicating something meaningful and either motivating them further to take the next step or demotivating them. So that's really a philosophical approach to every encounter, whether that's through your website, like you were mentioning earlier, whether that's at a study abroad fair or an info session what I, what I shared at a NAFSA regional presentation recently that made some folks a little uncomfortable, but I think got a few people to think is whether you like it or not, you, you and your office are a brand. So if you don't like the word brand, if that's too markety or salesy or whatever, think of it like you are a distinct community. And what are you communicating to students about that community? And you were mentioning earlier about the paradox of choice. So tactically, your website is probably your first impression. What kind of impression are you making on students? So tactically, consulting with user experience folks, design folks to say, what's working here, what's not? Or by the way, talk to five students and ask them what's working and what's not with your website and you will learn so much more. That's embedded into who we are, is um, constant, constantly talking to students, doing user experience testing. And one of the very practical things that we advise that you can do immediately is to add a little line on your website that says, not sure, get started here, and give them an option. So that the student who's feeling not sure feels like somebody understood that and is speaking to them rather than apply now being blazoned all over the website and they're like, well, that's not me. So I guess I should come back when I'm ready. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the ways that through via TRM we allow people to get started is, they can create a profile and get matched to their best university approved program through a program matching algorithm so the student can move forward on their own without having to wait to receive an email back or just sending an email into the void and hope that somebody reads it and then understands what it is they're hoping to get out of it. So creating your, a good first impression, um, putting something on your website and in, in your materials that reaches the student who's not sure and just curious and giving them a way to move forward without necessarily needing to just make an appointment with an advisor, which they may not be ready for.
0: Right. Now, I love that. and I love that you guys have that matching system that students can use to sort of get at least a starter list of like five programs that could be a good fit versus 500 programs. I think that's great. I think one suggestion I would make to somebody who's thinking like, well, how do I do that in my one, you know, whatever tiny office and they think they can't afford any technology, I would say is maybe make some caricatures of potential students, you know, so, oh, are you interested in, um, getting practical work experience while you're abroad? Okay. You might be interested in a internship program, a volunteer program. So it helps them guide like, oh, okay, yeah, I want to be able to say that. Maybe you want to do a research project. Oh, you might be interested in something like this and helping them sort of go, who, what do I want to get out of it? And then giving them some guidance on the type of program that might be a good fit. And that's sort of like a very low level kind of I'd say maybe quick win for people that if they were trying to implement this tomorrow. Yeah. I love that. Well, even,
1: even there's tons of free technologies out there like MailChimp, you know, that allow you to start building lists and segmenting lists according to where students are coming in. And, and that just gives you an opportunity to start to track those students and to be able to send more targeted content to them. Mm. There's any number of ways that, that folks can do that. Even in person, we've noticed we were at a, study abroad fair at a college in the Midwest running a pilot project. And we got 400 students to sign up in four hours by correctly identifying their readiness and emotional state. And we've identified those different buckets. Like you said, the overwhelmed student, the freshman student, the ready to apply student. And we were able to verbally basically give them an elevator pitch from a table that made them feel comfortable to come up and talk to us. So we've developed these sort of quick pitches based on how ready a student is to... Apply or not, and that seemed to be really effective.
0: Well, and I, I think that's really great because I've done that road warrior gig too, where I've stood at a table, and you know, you have that random student, you don't know anything about them. They come up to the table, and you sort of have to know, like, okay, do I need to talk to them about the different universities we partner with in Barcelona and the the language acquisition program that they offer? You know, all the that that kind of level of a detail because they're so ready for that. Versus the student who's like, I don't know, my friend made me come to this. What you know, <laughs> so. <laughs> (laughs) So I think uh, I love that being able to give students that sort of quick quiz or whatever to sort of figure out who they are. So then you can sort of say, oh, you're ready for this pitch versus this pitch. Right. I love that. Yeah. So after that step in the process, what's the next thing?
1: Yeah, well, you know, students who are have already said, "I, I really think I want to learn more. And they're in the program research phase. They're, they're going to be looking for different types of engagement points so um, but their world's busy and noisy just like ours is. So it's really important to be able to capture them somewhere so that you can have meaningful touch points to keep their interest or, or to give them value every step of the way while they're in that program research. And it doesn't involve just throwing different program options at them. They'll find the program options that are right for them. It involves giving them meaningful content or meaningful, um touch points that they can that build their confidence that they're ready to take that next step versus giving them all this information that makes them feel overwhelmed and not ready, so whether that's hey of course, what everyone's already doing, find out about how your financial aid may apply or connecting them with alumni, et cetera, et cetera. It's important to find different types of touch points while they're in that research mode so that they um, can engage in the way that feels right at that time to them.
0: Mm -hmm. So what's a practical application of that concept? Like, so let's take the financial aid, like what would that look like in this stage of the process?
1: Yeah. So again, it all comes down to appropriately segmenting and targeting students. So for example, in via TRM, what we, we ask students when they build their profile, you know, how do you plan on paying for this? And of course it's financial aid and personal finances and and jobs, but we also throw in things like crowdfunding and not sure. And so when a student says not sure, you're going to talk to them really differently than the one that's like, oh, my parents are just going to write a check versus the one who's like, I have no idea I'm freaking out about how I'm going to pay for this program. And students pay attention when the content applies to them. Students start to tune it out when they just keep getting blasted, all of this content that isn't really targeted to them. So it's so, so important that during, that the content study abroad offices are putting out, whether it's about financial aid or program options or meeting alumni, that it's targeted appropriately. Otherwise, students are just going to tune you out. And um, that's the worst thing that can happen because, there's something valuable to share with them. Still, we ha- w- the onus is on the study broad office to target correctly.
0: Right. You mentioned before about the regional, and people were like, "Oh, she's talking about businessy stuff," you know. But I'm going to bring some out here too. Is in the business world, we talk a lot about when you're developing a product or service or something that you're putting out to the world, you need people to. To buy your stuff. You talked about the market research and talking to students and hearing what they say. And I take it to the phrases they use, not the phrases you use as I'm now, you know, 35 year old old person to them, <laughs> the way I would describe those challenges. It's how does a 19 year old today talk about financial woes and using the language that they actually use to describe their challenges, their frustrations, their issues, and using that language back to them. And the, the cool thing about it in the marketing context is when you can describe their problem in a way that resonates with them that they understand the language you're using their immediate reaction is going to be how did they know me they just know me so well how how do they know me and and even getting down to something that's pretty tactical as a study abroad office, think about how you're writing your subject lines to the emails you do distribute, that even if they're a mass email about financial aid options, right? Sending an email to students saying, opportunities for financial aid resources inside may be like, mm. eh, <laughs> and versus basically in your research, if you sort just- like distrib- Freaking
1: out about how to pay for a study abroad right, program. Exactly. And,
0: st- <laughs> exactly. and if a student's like, oh yeah, I am totally freaking out, right? So, And maybe there's some even other cool word that they're using today kids. I don't know. But But figuring out how they would articulate and using your peer advisors to figure out how can I make this resonate with students. So, one, they'll open the email, right? Everything you're doing is to get them to take one action. Get them to open the email. Then get them to read the email. Then get them to click through the email or, you know, whatever your – call to action is. But I think doing that market research and understanding how students actually articulate their own challenges, not the way we do as academics or old people. In their world, we are old, so get over yourself. And, <laughs> and figuring out how you can speak to them on their level so that they will take the actions we want them to, to make. Because I, I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes, and I've even caught myself doing this Sometimes where I I want students to be at my level, right? I want them to be at my sophistication level and my wisdom about all things international programs and have my level of understanding, but they're not there yet. And so if we can meet them linguistically where they are, but also emotionally and all those other things, um, I think they'll they'll be more ready to take those actions like you mentioned. I I
1: completely agree. And I'll also add one more thing to that, which is probably one of the most effective things anyone in international education can do right now, today for a different result, and that is to say less, write less, say less, put less on your websites. Students want to pay attention, but when you send an email that is really long and filled even with interesting words, they're not going to read it. And people go, oh, students don't read anything. And uh, I think that what we don't realize is we don't read anything either. Think about how many times in a day you open up an email that's three pages long and read it. You don't, you open up the ones that you can read in a quick minute. Mm -hmm. And so again, back to that concept of targeting correctly, using the right words, use the right amount of words as well, and shorten up that message to the students, have a really clear call to action and try to accomplish one thing in the email versus five and the response will be better. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So and I've, I've sent that email. I've been an advisor and I sent the email that had bullets upon bullets upon bullets on, with sub bullets and then sub bullets within the, within the sub bullet. Oh, yeah, I've totally done that. And I thought I bolded the part that was important. Why are you not understanding me? <laughs> exactly. I, and I think, you know, we don't understand, like, why? Why are students not resonating with this? And, and I think it's whether you like it or not, you need to sort of understand that we live in the 140 character world and the bite size. I mean, even videos have the captions, right? So you can even watch your videos without the sound and all everything is made so you can consume it as quickly and easily as possible on a mobile device. All these things that I think as old people, I'm just going to keep all of us old as, you know, we're like, no, I sent an email with every single detail you need to know about every single element of this process. And yeah, students are gonna be like, and no, never mind. I'm just going to stay on campus. That seems like a lot of nonsense. Yeah.
1: And by the way, students want the option to research on their own without having to connect with somebody, but they want someone to be there when they really need them. Mm -hmm. And there's a metaphor that I, that I always like to use. Like 15 years ago to book a plane ticket, you had to call somebody and you had to talk to them. Well, now nobody, including us old folks, really want to talk to someone to book our plane ticket. We just want to go online and we want to find the right information and book the ticket. Now, if we want to take our really weird exotic pet on the plane, now i want to call someone and and get some specific information to me but i think there's a correlation there to the study abroad world as we're shifting from a um we're shifting from an environment a paradigm where student engagement centers around the study abroad office and the study abroad advisor and what they hold in their brains and what they share with students and moving that to a paradigm where the study abroad advisor is a guide not a database not a human database. And so how can we leverage tools, technology, systems, processes to give students the right information at the right time so they can find it on their own as early as they want and as late as they want. And the humans are there as well to guide them in things that software and processes and technology can never do, um, which is around uh, that human advising piece that's so, so critical. So in all of this, you know, my goal for myself for via TRM, for the field is that we shift our thinking. We shift our idea of what it means to be a practitioner, an international educator, and that we move more into the space of a helpful guide and a meaningful international educator and less of an administrative um, an administrative role where we are just literally, manually moving students from one phase to the next to the next, because I think that they're capable to do that on their own.
0: Right. I had a meeting earlier today with someone and we were talking about the Global Pro Institute and how it's sort of my program to help people figure out if international ed is right for them. And one of the things I talk about is people don't understand that right now, a lot of times, you know, the entry level study abroad advisor type roles, you're going to spend a good part of your semester or or at least a, a busy time there where you're like, in data tell, enrolling students in the right course codes. And that is not like sexy international travel that a lot of people think <laughs> comes with the, you know, the role of a study abroad advisor. So I, I do know that like some of the elements of what we've embedded into what our role is, is a lot of this administrative elements. And I've been to enough conferences and like, enough of these workshops and presentations where people talk, well, we, we just don't have enough time, enough time to do the stuff that's really meaningful and rich.
1: Well, yeah, I just wanted to actually, that's a great piece to loop back to what we were having, we were talking about earlier in the conversation, the, the person who is like, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to think about a new technology or a new, 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 new anything. I'm just up to my ears. Well, you know, the choice is we either continue forcing international educators, people to keep doing things that systems are really good at doing and therefore being disempowering them from doing what they actually want to do, which is to be an international educator. Or we could get really clear about what people and systems are good at differently and make sure systems are doing what systems are good at and people are doing what people are good at. Mm-hmm. And the the, combina- the right combination of the two means that everybody wins, most of all students. Um, people who are focused on doing systems-based things are actually not living up to their full potential, and that is a worthwhile investment mm-hmm. no matter who you go with.
0: Right. Yeah. So, I know I want to get back on track because I want to make sure we get all of these stages. So we have know your brand, figure out what the brand, what's the messaging you putting out there before you've even ever spoken to a student. We have giving them an option, the start here, sort of entree point, if you will, and then understanding where they are. And so whether it's like a quiz or an algorithm, right, figuring out who they are, where they are, and then giving them based on that information, multiple touch points, giving them the information they need based on where they are in that process. So what would be the next thing that you guys utilize it via, but somebody needs to be thinking about instead of ushering in the next stage of the process, if you will.
1: Yeah. So, um, in our, in our software, we have a, an interactive what we call our Chevron and that Chevron, um, maps out the start to finish process for a student. So it starts at interested moves to building profile, goes into choosing programs and just moves through applying pre-departure on-site and alumni. The beauty of that is that students can move through that process on their own and they're put into those different Chevron buckets automatically. And the goal is that whether it's in VITRAB or it's in just a really great process that's built um through a homegrown system or a combination of systems, it's to allow students to be correctly segmented into those various stages and to automate whenever possible, getting them into those phases and getting the right information to them when they, when they, when they hit that stage. So the less manual, uh, picking the student up from this and putting them into that, you can do the more time you have to focus on the other critical pieces and the more time you have to then craft the right message for that student at the right time. I'm not sure if that really answered your question, but- No,
0: it is. I just want to get, be clear for people in terms of if they're saying, okay, what do I need to be thinking about in my office? Whether they, you know, come to VIA and implement your system or not, what could they be doing right now in in their systems to sort of, oh, we, we don't have anything for anyone at X stage, if you will. But I think that's really- helpful to understanding that if we really want to walk this back really to a foundational perspective is, do you know, in your office, the process, you know, beyond just apply now or info information sessions or something like that, do you know what that stage will look like or what information would be most appropriate for a first semester freshman versus a second semester junior and, and figuring out what information is the best fit for them where versus what information is most appropriate three months before departure, four months before departure, because we all know those systems pretty well. It's it's I think where we have a lot of opportunities as a field is figuring out what information needs to go before they've gotten into that traditional cycle of apply now. Does that make sense? Yes.
1: Absolutely. I mean if we think about if we think about students on a continuum in a funnel like visibly a funnel, most study abroad offices are really focused at the very, very tip, the very, very bottom. And really not engaging with the top half of the funnel, arguably the vast majority of students. And so one, of the, one there's a design thinking tool that folks can use called customer journey mapping that we've, we do quite a bit of at via TRM, which is to literally uh, take a pen and paper or a whiteboard and map out each step of the way the process for a student. So like you said before, imagine that a freshman student walks in the door. What is their process? Where do they get bottlenecked? Where do they get eight, you know, eight points of contact and then hear nothing for two years? Like it really helps customer journey mapping really helps you get clear about how your internal processes do or don't speak to the external reality or needs or wants of the people you're trying to serve and it really helps to identify the bottlenecks and Opportunities to um, do something more meaningful with the population that you're working with.
0: Okay. Smooth out some of the edges. Yeah, absolutely. So it's been a while since I've sort of chatted with you guys about some of the mechanics of what VIA can do. So one of the things I'm curious about is, does the system have a way for either time released or triggered, like triggered communication? I'm going to call it that, you know, maybe it's a message that's sent to a student or based on once they select a certain thing. So say they say, I'm just going to use a random example, but said in their profile, they're saying, well, I'm really interested in, you know, Australia or Um, South Africa, let's just say. And from there, does it have the capability or are you moving in the direction of having something where it would trigger like four days later, they get an email with some some bite-sized information about, you know, one for South Africa, one for Australia, you know, key things to keep in mind. And then also delineate that email if they're a freshman versus if they're a junior. I don't know. That sounds like a lot. I know, but I'm just yeah, like, yeah. that would be super exciting. Right. So if you could be like, okay, they're a freshman and they're interested in Australia, this is the information that, that, that's really important versus they're, a, you know, the second semester junior, this is what they need to know right now. So. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So, so functionally uh, I'll share where we're at and we're absolutely moving in that direction. So functionally right now we've given International educators a, a richer baseline data set than they've ever had before, particularly for students who come before the application ready stage, meaning, again, the freshman, the just curious, the not sure student, um, anyone who's coming in, it's like capture them all, leave none behind. And via TRM allows offices to do that. And then what happens is students self progress on their own to. Filling out a buzz style type quiz, and people say, Well, why would students fill that out? They don't read anything, they never do anything. And my response is always, Well, students are really motivated to do things that benefit them. So, if you create a really fun, interesting, visually appealing, user friendly experience for them, where at the end of it they get something of value, they'll do it. And we've tested this with hundreds of students, and believe it or not, um, we can successfully get students to answer. 35 questions in less than five minutes, and that data set is then available to the international educator. So, to your point of segmenting, well, what about the freshman student who uh, has never been abroad before? Well, in our system, you can actually find that student, and now you can create a message to target them. What we're still in research and discovery about is creating a functional way to map, do that customer journey mapping I was just talking about, where in the technology, you can create create those automatic triggers. Mm -hmm. We're talking to folks about it. We're doing some testing. We're mapping out some possibilities, but we're not quite, we're not quite there.
0: A tool that I'm using in my other company right now is called ConvertKit. And it has this really cool thing where when I, in in an email, I can put a hyperlink, right? So learn more about our Bali retreat, right? I can tag Bali retreat on the back end of the system and say, anybody who clicks this, I want to tag them with interested in retreats and interested in Bali. And so now in their customer profile or their community profile, if I have a, hey, last day to to join the Bali yoga retreat, I can just send... Um, An email to those people who uh, clicked on that because they're now tagged. I think that kind of control over your messaging is really powerful because you don't want to be blasting every person that you've ever met with, you know, the same con- content, you know, all the time. So, I think I think uh, moving in the dire- direction it's great. But I think you're right. The way that you guys have the tool built, that if you know. You know, if you start putting, I'm talking to the advisor right now or someone in an office, if you're thinking, okay, well, how do I do that using something like via, if you can do that search and say, okay, I want to find all second semester freshmen who've never been abroad. So therefore, maybe they don't have a passport, let's just say, and maybe we're having a big passport event you can just message them and say this is something this is the first step in the process go get your passport and, you know whatever yeah. fun thing you've got going on how amazing is it is that messaging is just for them where like the senior alumni student who's on your list who's already been abroad they're going to be like yeah that's not you know for me or it's maybe you, spammy. Yeah. right exactly and they're going to be like unsubscribe if it's if it's that kind of thing or they're just going to Um, not trust you. So, you know, I talk about this concept of no like, and trust people, they're going to open your emails. If they, you're always giving them something that's valuable to them. And if you just keep, you know, pummeling them with information that isn't relevant, like you said, uh, they're just going to start ignoring you and totally um, tuning you out.
1: Yeah. Well, it used to be again, 10, 15 years ago, information was scarce and attention was plenty. And that has 100% flipped information is cheap, And attention is scarce. So, in that kind of an environment, how do we operate as international educators? And I guess the last thing I'll say on that point is um, something that we're doing right now is running a project, a pilot project as a part of our Generation Study Abroad commitment, called the Freshman Cohort, to do to experiment with some of those things that you just were talking about um, in advance of actually building the system. So, because we want to come to people not just with a technology, but with tried and true proven approaches that we've been, we've tested with uh, universities. So right now, Virginia Commonwealth University, University of Nebraska-Lincoln and Georgia Tech are all participating in this project with us to try to find out how are freshman students engaging in study abroad and how is that similar or different than other populations of students. And through that pilot, we'll, we'll have a lot more information to then be able to build more nuanced tools to automate that, that engagement process with them.
0: That's awesome. That's exciting. I think that's really great. And I think those are some great universities to kind of have up your sleeve, if you will, to be like, hey, look what they're doing. (laughs) I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So you're doing this pilot project for the Generation Study Abroad Initiative, but I know you have plenty of other universities that you're onboarding or have been using the system for a little while. Do you have any sort of anecdotes for us to like get us excited about sort of the outcomes that you guys have seen with this?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, two that come to mind is One, leveraging the study abroad fair a lot more and getting more out of it. It's something that people do every year. They're familiar with it. It's a traditional function, putting a new twist on it and not just having the actual event be the one and only shot, but creating a campaign in advance to get more students excited about that and involved whether or not they physically show up to the event. So Uh, about two years ago, we ran a project with a a large public university in the Midwest. And we asked them to do one simple thing, which was to include an invitation to create an account and get started early to get matched to programs in advance of the fair. And they take out one all campus blast. And I'm telling you, it was one of those like super long international educator type emails. And at the very, very bottom, it said, yes, can't make the fair, but want to get, or want to get started early, get matched your programs, had a little call to action. They had a hundred students sign up, um, with that one little invitation. And we had students come up to us in that fair and then go, Oh, I, I already signed up and I already filled out my profile and I already got my, and that is exciting. And that's a new way to think about how to leverage existing events and get a little bit more out of them. And maybe more importantly, allow students to get more out of them. Mm,
0: um, mm-hmm. I love that. Cause I think that it sort of helps eliminate the whole, not that there's not value and just sort of pure discovery, pure curiosity and going table to table and saying, Hey, what, do, you know, what do you guys do? Uh, but I also think too, knowing that students are busy, just like we are, and knowing that a paradox of choice that can come from walking away with 200 catalogs or, <laughs> or whatever. I think if a student goes in knowing, "Oh, there's seven tables I want to go because I have more nuanced, detailed questions about my own situation. Like coming back to what you said about true, meaningful attention versus just information, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And what we're hearing from students in our focus groups and interviews and users tests is that um, what, what we hear sometimes from alumni is that they go, well, actually, I went on this program and it was great and all, but Now, knowing what I know, there was actually a program that I think would have been better for me, or I wish I would have researched a little bit more. And one of the things that when we were testing our um, gamified intake process, which is a totally new approach that the field has never seen in terms of getting students engaged in this process, the words that we heard from students were, this is simple, this is interesting, this is fun. I expect that I'll get results that are personalized to me and what that, what we're looking to explore more as the years go on and we're, um, learning more about this emerging model of engagement is will this kind of an engagement strategy reduce, reduce hearing from alumni? Oh, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't get the right information or I didn't, I don't feel like I didn't have the right research available to me, or I didn't know what was personal to me or my goals or whatever. And we're really trying to connect those two things. And I think that we have seen some early promising results of that and looking forward to seeing more.
0: Yeah, that's really exciting. Well, this has been awesome. And hopefully you guys have gotten some great actionable takeaways that you can sort of start thinking about in your office right now. Some little tweaks you can start making. But Sam, if somebody wants to connect with you and learn more and, and maybe see inside via and get a demo or something, how how can they reach out to you?
1: Yeah, uh, they can reach out to us at our general inbox and that'll get rooted depending on what interested in doing uh, hello at via via trm.com uh, also if folks want to share their stories about freshman engagement or pilots they're running around broadening the funnel on their campus or within their organization i would love to hear that we're curating stories and wanting to share that with the field so they can reach out to me directly at samantha via trm.com and uh, thanks brooke so much for inviting us to share our story and, and what we're thinking about. And we love the work that you're doing also in technology and, and bringing some new innovative thoughts to the field.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I will have links to all the stuff in the show notes as well. So if you didn't catch that and you're in your car or something, come on over to InsideStudyAbroad.com and I'll have all that information there. And I'm sure you're going to be at a bunch of the different conferences coming up. So you guys definitely go visit VIA at their booths and, and learn more about what they're doing. And thanks so much for coming on, Sam. Thanks, Brooke. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Sam. If you guys want to connect with Samantha, you can do so over on Twitter as at Travel Advising. And of course, you can always connect with me as The New Dorothy over on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat if you're down with that. And as always, I'll have links to everything we discussed during the show in the show notes over at InsideStudyBroad.com slash podcast. Now, before I let you guys know who's coming on the show next week, I want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor, Carpe Diem Education. I hope you know that this podcast could not continue without these amazing sponsors I've had over the last few weeks. So thank you so much to Carpe and all the other sponsors I've had the privilege of working with. It means so much to me that you believe in my work and my platform and what I'm putting out into the international education world. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know from personal experience the impact experiential learning programs can have on young people as they enter their adult lives in college and beyond. And so Carpe Diem Education is one of those rare organizations that offers really unique ways for young people to not only learn about the world, but learn about themselves. I really believe in what they're doing. And I hope you will go over to carpe diem and learn for yourself why this organization is so special. So thank you guys again so much for sponsoring. Now coming on the show next week, I will be chatting with my friend, Lisette Miranda, fellow entrepreneur and founder of Pink International Internships. And we're going to be talking all things Snapchat. Yes, that's right. Snapchat. So whether you're curious about how to use it for marketing, promotion, recruitment, onboarding, brand awareness, whatever it is, or if you're just like, what is Snapchat? Come on over to the show next week and we will be diving into all of that. Until next time, I will see you guys on the inside. Bye for now.